And when we see a symptom of low trust, oftentimes it's because it's taking longer to get things done than it should. We're having the same conversation again and again, or there's just this drag on speed of execution. The other thing that I think is, is pervasive is that we're talking about people rather than to people. Hello, it's Leanne Mallory, and you're listening to Reimagine Leadership, a limited series podcast created by Rise Leaders Radio. I recently designed and delivered a seven-month practice and cohort-based leadership program and thought it might be interesting to explore the trajectory of the program and include a few of the main topics that we covered via podcast. There are several episodes in this series, three with my client, the CEO of Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas, and then individual episodes that cover various elements of the program. I hope you'll check them all out. Now, consider for a moment the topics that you would want to cover if your organization was committing to achieving its very important mission. You might be thinking about what's going well and what is challenging. And as you reflect on that, I reckon that trust would show up either explicitly or implicitly. It turns out that trust at every level is foundational to long-term success. My client was very aware that trust needed a boost, and so we spent significant time in this program working on trust, both in the workshops and with individualized practices. And I had help from Jerry McGar and Lori Darley, who joined me in this episode today and were also facilitators in the program. Today, we talk about signs that trust may be missing in your organization, behaviors that build trust, fears that tear trust down, and the importance of vulnerability. Remember that you can find links to the various topics in the show notes. We're joining the conversation as Jerry is introducing himself, and then you'll hear from Lori. Enjoy. So Jerry, tell us a little bit, just just a blurb, you know, what you do in the world and kind of who you do it with. So about 30 years of uh, work with lots and lots of different organizations, and I work with executive teams and helping them increase their functionality and trust with one another, but also do a lot of facilitation with uh, participants in long-term programs, much like the one that you've built with uh, the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. So, uh, and I have a wonderful partnership with SMU's uh, Cox School of Business Executive Education Group, and I've been partnering with them for years and years. Yeah, which is where we met, actually. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Thank you, Jerry, for, for being here. And Lori. First of all, thank you for having me. It's I'm excited to be here and just to have this conversation. I've been coaching and training high-performing leaders for about 23 years now. I can't believe that number is um, that continues to rise, but that's the truth of the matter. <laughs> and um, I'm very passionate about personal growth and transformation and how it is that we think about the way in which we think 
And lately, I am very excited about working in community with people so that one of the, I think, catch-all phrases that we share, Leanne, is that transformation doesn't happen in isolation. And so I'm starting a, a mastermind and uh, sort of a wisdom circle and so excited about that. And yeah, I just love the work that I do and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. Yeah, I love the phrase transformation happens in community. And actually, that's one of the reasons or, you know, one of the design principles for this program is that, you know, people can go to one off workshops by themselves, etc, but they come back to the organization. And, you know, there was also a phrase, you know, the, uh, the system will win every time, bring a changed person back into an organization and the organization will win every time. So whatever is going on in the culture is bigger than an individual. So when we do programs like this with organizations, whether it's an intact team or several leaders in an organization, there's a, a higher chance that it will stick and that the culture will actually change into what's needed for the organization to get the results that they want. So today uh, we're talking about trust, which by the way, I don't know any organization that has this nailed. It is a constant work in process. And so it, it is a big topic for any organization and why we spent so much time on it. And Jerry and Lori, you both came in with different um, perspectives on trust and Jerry, what would you say for the, with the trust and influence workshop that you curated, that you've created, what are the big ideas from that module? One of the key ideas is from Stephen M. R. Covey's work, The Speed of Trust. And what I love about one of my favorite phrases with, from him is that trust is the one thing that affects everything. And I, I think that's absolutely true. And you're right that there's no organization that really has gotten this nailed down. It is just this enormously elusive concept that we keep working with. But what I like about uh, his thinking is that it does get it into pretty tangible terms and that it's an economic perspective. It's a let's get stuff done trust versus what I think people oftentimes come to trust with is a, oh, that's a kumbaya version of trust. And it's just skipping through the daisies and having fun. And, <laughs> and I love to, to kind of get rid of that mindset right away and say, no, this is about executing and delivering on your business goals. And then all of a sudden people perk up and are willing to have the conversation. Yeah. And uh, the Stephen M. R. Covey, I think was the person who coined the phrase, there's a high cost of low trust. That was his dad, actually. We, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. So, yeah. yeah, Stephen Covey, the original. Yeah. The original. And what's yeah. interesting is back, you know, when, when Stephen Covey was doing his work, there were two components that were present. The idea of the high cost of low trust and this idea that people were scanning relationships every day for character and competence. And when they see both character and competence, then that is the, the moment that trust can arise. So, and then of course, Stephen takes that and goes much deeper into the research and application on it. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. And so Lori, how about um, the five behaviors model? Give us kind of the, your bottom line, particularly on trust, but I know that that's only one element of five behaviors. Yeah, 
Yeah, so The Five Behaviors of High-Performing Teams is based on Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and it sort of flips it on the more positive side so that we can look at what can I actually do to become, as an individual leader, as, as well as perhaps part of an intact team, such that we get that, that work done and it's done well. So at the base of Lencioni's pyramid of the five behaviors positively expressed uh, through this particular model is trust. Without it, nothing works. Mm. It's the context in which it's the water in which we swim. And um, either the water is really muddy when the team is experiencing a lack of trust, or it is um, a work in progress at best. And so uh, for Lencioni, the emphasis and the sort of the take that he's brought to the game is around the emphasis of vulnerability-based trust. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word vulnerability, that's not something that I actually want to particularly cultivate when I'm working with peers and I want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to be liked and accepted. And yet the, the truth of the matter, if you think about a dysfunction, it's not a bad thing. It's just the way we are. It's like mm. that below the line behavior, right? And so what vulnerability-based trust is, is that readiness, that willingness to let down our guard, right? To admit that we've made a mistake. And then that I have flaws. I'm not a perfect being. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to raise my hand? Uh, when I, uh, when I'm like sewing, so, you know, trying so hard to, to prove to everybody that I'm doing it right. And I really don't have a clue <laughs> what I'm doing. And I raise my hand because I feel safe enough that I won't be, you know, punished or, you know, looked down upon. Yeah. There's so many positive ways to think about vulnerability. It, it's kind of like the word um, humility, like people had this really kind of negative idea that you didn't want to be, uh, you didn't want to act with humility because then that meant that you were uh, small or you were saying you were wrong, but vulnerability is the same thing. It has a very positive um, mm -hmm. impact when we are acting from a place of vulnerability. So for people who are out there listening, I'm going to ask both Jerry and Lori this question, and I would love for you to also just be thinking you know, scanning your environment, your, your place of work, and how is it that you know, or what are some of the signs that trust is missing in an organization? And Jerry, I'm going to start with you again. So from, from your perspective, what do you hear from the organizations that you work with? You know, I, I think we can have in our line of sight, this diagnostic lens and, and that, from my perspective, is really practical on how do we think about trust. And when we see a symptom of low trust, oftentimes it's because it's taking longer to get things done than it should. We're having the same conversation again and again, or there's just this drag on speed of execution. The other thing that I think is, is pervasive is that we're talking about people rather than to people. So I want to dig into what you were saying there about like decisions not being made, like things taking a long time. Uh, and this is actually, you know, one of the elements in the organization that I was working with that, you know, meeting after meeting without decisions, 
you know? And if that's part, if you're listening and that's part of your environment, one of the things that you can ask is, you know, where might trust be missing? You know, what are people, are people afraid of something? Like, is there a fear of making a decision? And if there's a fear of making decision, is there a consequence for being wrong? Or is there, uh, is there a negative consequence for making a mistake in the organization? And so that trust is low because people don't want to take chances at being wrong, making the wrong decision or whatever. And so we can start looking kind of across the board and seeing that a lot of things that are frustrating in an organization might have their roots in our own individual perspective around trust and fear. I I think that's exactly right. That in one way, what you're talking about is risk. And of course, and when you, Lori mentioned the idea of vulnerability, I love that Brene Brown TED talk where it's the one after she got famous, right? And then she's talking (laughs) about these companies who wanted her to come in and talk to us about building innovation and creativity and and but don't don't talk about that vulnerability stuff and and I don't know if you remember this but her sentence was well there's no way to talk about that without vulnerability because risk is at the heart of that and so you're never going to have people willing to take risk without vulnerability so her her viewpoint is that innovation and often and um innovation and and risk-taking go hand in hand and that trust is the birthplace of that. Huh. Yeah. And we would never, that's not what we typically think of. Yeah. Lori, how about you? What's when you think of signs that you may be missing trust in your organization? Um, one of the big ones for me, Leanne, that I've uh, noticed a lot is that when breakdowns happen, when things don't work well, it goes underground. Uh-huh right? Nobody's talking about it, or there's such a delay to, you know, like if you could handle it when it happens rather than before the, you know, the deadline, right? Then we would have an opportunity to shift the the trajectory of the breakdown, right? So when they go underground, that just piles on to that we're, you know, slowing things down and mucking up the work, so to speak. The other one is boring meetings, Right. And when I say boring meetings, it's like usually there's one person talking and everybody else is sitting back because they know from their own experience or from their own story in their own head that what's the point. Right. Because um, my leader is just going to do what they do anyway. And I'm just going to go along to get along. Yeah, again, a a great diagnosis. So if you're sitting in meetings that are uninteresting or that, like you said, are boring, Uh, a great question to ask is, is it a trust thing? And not just, I think what's important with any of these topics, it's not just like out there Mm -hmm. and what, what, what trust is missing out there, but asking myself, what am I not trusting? Why am I not speaking up? What is the belief that I have about it doesn't matter anyway and testing that, which is another thing like in any of these programs that we really want to emphasize is that the problem isn't out there and we don't diagnose it out there. The first question is, all right, what role am I playing here? So 
So the, the, the things that I would add to your list are, you know, kind of drama and finger pointing. And I would say, Lori, that drama and finger pointing even can kind of go back to, you know, uh, what happens when, when breakdowns occur. And so when breakdowns occur, meaning that a deadline was missed or, you know, that that's basically the thing, like people didn't keep a promise that instead of talking to the person about it. And Jerry, this is when your part comes in uh, about people talk about each other instead of to each other, that all of this conversation and drama starts happening and it's out there and it's not a, a, you know, a really solid conversation with the person who the, the, the trust was broken with and who knows, maybe it was a miscommunication or whatever, but regardless, it's going underground and sometimes the person who is the quote offender doesn't even know that it happened. And so then you get all of this, like this feeling of mistrust in the organization that it's, it's like thick, it's like thick air or muddy, you know, trudging through mud, trying to get stuff done because there are so many stories and everything out there. So the drama is another one that I would add. And then the other one that I would add is kind of, uh, an uneven distribution of work where like some people are really overwhelmed. And part of the reason is because Lori, like you were saying, they're not raising their hand and saying, I need help, or I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. They're just like trying to get it done. And I actually had with Girl Scouts, one of the leaders in the program, she was given a task or she thought it was her task to do. It was hers to do. And, but she wasn't sure. She was like, I think that this belongs to this or this group or this department. And so she actually asked after doing this trust work, I think Jerry, it was after your session that she at, was able to ask the question, like, so, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Where do you think this belongs? And the other group said, oh, no, no, that's ours. We're supposed to do that. But she never felt you know, strong enough or vulnerable enough to um, ask the question or get over her own vulnerability or belief that she was supposed to have the answer and this was supposed to be hers to do. And so just by asking the question, it was very clear. It was just like done in 30 seconds. So mm -hmm. that uneven distribution of work and not delegating and some people being burnt out and et cetera, et cetera. To me, those are all signs of a lack of trust as well in an organization. What I'm appreciating about that, Leanne, is the emphasis on, you know, to your point earlier, the self-awareness piece, right? And that we all have our own standards, our own shoulds, our own preferences and tendencies. And when those aren't met, we clam up or, or go silent. And mm -hmm. so the experience of working with the Girl Scouts was amazing because I got to see it at the beginning and all, you know, kind of at the, the end point. And it was extraordinary to me to watch how the whole group congealed because they could let down their regard, their guard and speak honestly with one another. And it was just such an extraordinary mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. It, it was really extraordinary. And, you know, we'll keep working on it. You know, there will be things that just it's like, you know, you dip your toe in the water and then, you you know, you wade up to your hips and then you go completely in. And so there's somewhere in between the toe dip and completely, uh, completely immersed. But, you know, when when people have 
practices or behaviors to do that they can try out and then get feedback on. It's really helpful. And that's one of the things that we were able to weave through this program. And Jerry, in your session, you did like, we had like the 13 behaviors and the sentence starters. And, you know, I know that we don't have time to go through all of that, but again, is there, put you on the spot here, kind of a big idea with the listing of trust behaviors and then some sentence starters there. Well, the idea that I appreciate about Stephen's 13 behaviors is that they're witnessable, right? If we if we start from the perspective of what's my role in building trust, so that self-accountability and self-awareness, then the next question is, what behavior do I need to put in the line of sight of the people that I'm trying to build trust with? So there's this idea that trust is situational. And in this situation, there may be a greater need for a particular behavior. So the mythology around trust is there's an on-off switch. And I mean, it's me. What's How could you not trust me, right? And, and so that is where I think the nuance of trust becomes so powerful in the workplace is when we stop thinking that, well, I'm a good person, everybody should trust me. And we start getting really curious about Ah, not because I'm a bad person, but because there are nuances and because this situation is different than that situation, what is the behavior that that person may not be seeing in me? And if I can amplify that behavior, then they'll see the behavior and they'll experience me as a more person, as a person more worthy of trust. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll have built trust. I mean, it's so it, it's not... Um, it's not ethereal. It's very, very practical and tangible. And like you said, the the nuance was important. And one of the things that I remember in the 13 behaviors and the sentence starters, there was this idea, and I'll just use this one because this one was really popular uh, with the Girl Scouts, was um, talking straight. All right. Mm. So that's, that's one of the behaviors is like um, telling the truth, being honest and speaking and, and, and speaking out. And for some people, they need more of that, more speaking. And for other people, they need more listening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, don't yeah. talk more, talk less. <laughs> That's how you're going to build trust. So there is this continuum and there's this nuanced assessment where we all need different things in order to build trust with people. Yeah, that's right. And there, for all of those behaviors, as much as it would be easy to say, well, let's just do all 13 behaviors. That's not the idea, right? It's what is the behavior necessary for this moment? And you, just as you said, think about there's a an overuse, an underuse, and a just right. Uh-huh. And so people who are talking straight and overusing it, I mean, right? They're kind of like, well, <laughs> you, your problem is you just can't handle the truth. I calls them like I sees them. And so, and then they go, well, why don't you trust me? The idea is you're <laughs> overusing that way too much. So pull that back and pull listening up. So that's that's exactly on target what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So it's that, oh, what is the model that I'm trying to think of where you, you know, there's 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 two, it's good, you know, but either one can be over, it's can be overused or un- yeah. underused either way. While I've got you here, I want you to talk a little bit about um, you know, character. You mentioned character and competence earlier. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? What's what's the difference? How are they, how do they relate to or rely on each other? 
Yeah. So character has everything to do with our value system. And that's this idea that we're scanning each other all day, every day. And we're looking for, is there a values connect here? Is there a values connect here? Are they, is there integrity built into who they are and what they're up to? And then competence has, of course, much more to do with our knowledge, skills, wisdom, and experience. The, the metaphor that's used is a really interesting one. And I see it again and again out there in the workplace. It's a, the metaphor of a tree and the root system. And competence is the tree and the branches, very, very visible. We could spend five minutes with somebody and diagnose whether they're competent. But the root system is underground, and that's where we think about character. And it's really, I love your thought, again, that this program starts with being curious about our own contribution to the problem. And so often people step into these with this mindset of, well, what's your problem? I'm, I'm trustworthy. But notice that the root system is underground. It's not visible. And so we have to take action. We have to be very, very deliberate and conscious and strategic with how we help people see that we are operating with character, even when we have character, because they're on the other side. And if they can't see it, they're going to make up a story that it's not there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, you, Jerry, you had some really great stories about like, we, we see somebody doing something and we make up a story about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And so, and we can't not do that. Making up stories isn't bad. We just need to know that's what we're doing. That's yeah. right. And then it, it feels, I mean, unfair that I'm not only responsible for putting the right behaviors in your line of sight, but I got to manage the stories that are in your head. Are you <laughs> me? But, but yeah, welcome to leadership, right? Yeah. And, you know, on the flip side, you know, and this is where it's not an either or we're always kind of dancing with each other. And maybe there's some things that I'm doing. There's a way of being that, that I am exhibiting that people that causes people to uh, create stories about me. And so I need to be aware of that, but hopefully I've developed relationships, trusting relationships with the people that I work with and, and they can come and tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, I'm noticing that you're doing this and I'm making up the story. It looks like this. Can you clear that up for me? But that is, that's vulnerable because then, you know what? I have to admit that I made that story up. It's not just that I saw this in you, but I had this interpretation. And so then I am revealing my values and my character to you in how I assessed your values and your character. And so it's this dance and it's messy. You know, we have to be really on top of it and intentional and want these trust trusting relationships because, and Jerry, like you said, we're always scanning. I mean, we don't, we don't say I'm, I'm going to scan now. It's just <laughs> what we do. You know, it's a survival mechanism. And so we're just always scanning. Lori, this is reminding me of, so in the workshop, when we're talking about trust and we spend a good bit of time on that. Well, let me first say there's an assessment, the five yeah. behaviors assessment that I think is so helpful because it helps us, it's really helpful in helping us either agree or disagree with what the assessment comes up with. So we can say, oh, that, that does sound like me, or actually that doesn't sound like me, but it gives us a starting point. Yeah. 
Yes. And there were these, uh, right in the beginning, everybody receives their own curated list of like things that cause you not to be vulnerable. And I think that the model or the assessment kind of boils it down. And they would say that based on all of those fears, that four of them, there's four that consistently show up for people. And it was amazing to hear people's stories around that. So talk about those four fears or four things that, that get in the way of vulnerability. Yeah. Beautiful. So everybody has sort of a hodgepodge and, but everyone was able to see at least one or two of these four and how it relates to them based on their own sort of behavioral style. And so one of them is like not wanting to be perceived as a burden like that. um, I'm new to the game. I want to be accepted for, you know, the knowledge, the competencies and the skills. And if I don't have those things, then I feel like I'm going to be taking time away from somebody else. And so that was, that was a very common fear that was expressed among the group. Another one. I want to just jump in here because the example that I gave earlier of the Mm -hmm. woman who were like, Oh, I, I don't know if this is mine, but she was really shy about asking, should I be doing this? Or should you be doing this? That was where that was her fear, fear of being a burden. And so that was a great example. Like she, she didn't want to like, Uh, be a burden to the other team. Yeah. And I mean, how many times have we seen this in organizations where leaders don't want to delegate because they don't want, you know, they don't want to put added pressure on even the people that work for them. Mm -hmm. So it can can go in all directions, which becomes interesting. Another one is my personal favorite, uh, fear of loss of control, right? You know, am I, you know, I may resist apologizing because that then puts me in that space of vulnerability. I may actually not admit that I've made a mistake because uh, then I'm not actually in control of that, you know, hyper vigilant and always together kind of human being. And if I'm not in control and I'm a leader, then who is in control? <laughs> right. So that that was a really big one. Yeah. Uh, anything you wanted to? Well, you know, and that also, you know, we had, you know, people, people standing definitely in loss of control. And there's, you know, I think also this, from the positive perspective, it's, I want it to be done right. You know, it's this result is really important to me. And so, because it's so important, I feel like I need to do it, but that's maybe because I don't trust other people either that they can do it as well, or trust that there's another way that it's not just my way, but you know, there, there are multiple ways to, to get this done and, but people will hold on to it because they want it done a certain way. And that just makes my yeah. body feel tight. <laughs> the, yeah. And in the beauty in the, in the experience of the program was people who shared these individual fears as, and they would just, you know, self-select and then they would have a conversation with yeah. one another about how it showed up in the organization or, you know, it was just really, really 
quite profound. Another one of my favorites, fear of disapproval, right? I'm afraid mm -hmm. I'm going to be not liked, that I'm not going to be seen as a valued person in the team. I think we all want to look good. It's one of those just survival instincts. And, and if we're, if we're not looking good and we're not contributing or disapproved of it's, it's a little bit, it has similar shades with loss of control. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then the last one is really connects well with Jerry's piece around not wanting to appear incompetent, mm. right? I've, I've worked hard. I worked long and I've developed my skills and I have experience under my belt and you throw me into a new situation and all of a sudden my competency is not so strong, but I may have a natural gift for the role in which I'm um, engaged in. So again, there's that opportunity to raise your hand mm -hmm. and, and admit, hey, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm feeling really incompetent in this. And what's the first thing that I need to do here? Mm -hmm. to actually, you know, take my, back my control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it just, uh, you know, it strikes me that all of these fears and maybe all fear, who knows, that's a, you know, deeper philosophical conversation is not being kicked out, mm -hmm. you know, not being seen as an outcast, like not being competent. Well, we don't want that person on our team because they're incompetent. Or if I, if I'm a burden, then I may, people may not want to work with me. And so all of these things, it's just, it's this fear of being separated out, kind of culled out and being on our own, which meant death in our system, you know, in our reptilian brain, our old lizard brain to be separated means death. And now there's all this, you know, new research that's coming out about, you know, how devastating to our health and well-being that loneliness is. Vivek Murthy, the um, Surgeon General has just come out with this, you know, that loneliness is an epidemic. So having that fear is real. You know, if we're really living with that, being lonely, even if it may not mean death, it, it does have a huge psychological impact on us. So it makes good sense that these are our fears. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jerry, as you were listening, you know, this is the first time that the three of us have been together talking about trust. And I'm curious what connections that you're making to, to your work after hearing these, these four and how, yeah. hearing Lori speak. And Lori, I am fascinated with hearing these four fears. I had not, this is the first time I'm, I'm hearing them. And so I, I love this idea because it helps me understand a couple of things uh, that get in the way of what I'm trying to help people do. So if we think about the work with the 13 behaviors, then my job is to understand that it, I make, can have all the character and competence in the world, and yet someone can sit on the other side of the table and say, no, you don't. So it's not whether I do or don't have the character and competence, it's whether I'm putting it in their line of sight. And remember, more often than not, people are going to be suspicious about character. And so I have to be really strategic and active in doing that. Well, turns out that, so as we're reaching for this behavior and we're getting strategic and I just need to right the wrong and apologize, well, now I'm seeing that there's this unconscious fear associated with that, or I'm needing to say to someone, I want to get better at this skill. And now I'm seeing Lori's 
uh, your the unconscious fear that's short circuiting all of these behaviors that seem to be easy to reach for and put into place. So I think it's a fantastic mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what builds trust? And I think that uh, you know a lot of times we'll we get really enamored with the problem that we're seeing. You know what's happening. But what actually builds trust? What are behaviors? And both models talk about behaviors, like how is it that we can build trust? And there are a lot of different ways. And again, we talked about that they're nuanced. Lori, as you think about this model, uh, particularly vulnerability-based trust, what, what are the key ways that a person could repair a relationship or, or build trust according to this model and Mm. your experience, not just the model, your own experience. Yeah. One of the practices, and it's a, it's definitely one that is not comfortable and that's to go public, (laughs) Mm. right? The, one of the most profound ways of facing our fear is to say that we have a fear, right? And the fear may, may, you may experience it ongoingly throughout your lifetime, but what I do have the power to do is to shift my relationship to fear. Hmm. And it's often the bottom line is fear of failure, right? Or feeling, feeling cut out, right? Discounted in some way. And to go public with that and to apologize for the Hmm. things, or, you know, if I look back and I go home that day and I realize, you know what, I feel like, I lost that person in that conversation, like they checked out. Mm. And so what is it that I could, you know, can we do a redo, right? I want to apologize to you because I may have been the person who was doing most of the talking in that conversation or that even I was more concerned about what was important to me rather than what was important to you. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that if I don't really understand where you're coming from, that we're not going to trust one another. So can we start again? Play it yeah. Again, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, uh, you're causing me to recall, and I did a, a podcast with a leader that I worked with, Treg Manning, who is the VP of sales for Airbus helicopters of North America. And there had been a big breakdown, lots of drama in his team. And this was several years ago. And I can, I feel like I can talk about it because he talked about it on the podcast. I did, I interviewed his entire team to get some feedback on Treg. And then we went into a a meeting and there was maybe 20 people there or so. And Treg actually went through his results Actually, I said, here's what you said that's working well with Treg. Here's what he's doing well. And then when it got time to say, here's what's not working, Treg stood up and he's a big guy. He stood up and he went through the whole list that his team had told me that wasn't working. So he went public Mm -hmm. and he just like the whole group, because this room was, there was only one woman in the room. They're all ex-military or ex-law enforcement. So these are pretty, you know, a lot of testosterone in the room and to have their leader stand up and go public with their feedback. And he said, I agree with everything you just said. Wow. 
And it, everybody just relaxed, like the energy. Yes, because you could, people were just like on edge, like, is he going to want to know who said that or whatever? But instead, he didn't rationalize, justify, or defend it. He just said, yep, that's me. And so that going public, the shift in the room in the energy was palpable. And mm -hmm. so, and I just, uh, you know, I was so amazed that he yeah. was willing to do that. And it made a huge difference that the team then can kind of put, put behind them what had happened. And they were, they were actually charting a new course of the way that they were going to be working together. I love the feedback element of this. Yeah. And it's extraordinary because, I mean, that's like way up the pyramid in Lencioni's mm -hmm. world of that accountability. We can't be accountable to our peers unless we have that, that groundwork of trust. And what it reminded me of in your story was the power of trust building in the follow-up. Uh -huh. I, I yes. got all this information about myself. Yep. I own it. But now it's like six months later, I want to check back in with you. How, how is it occurring for you now? Or you do another 360. Yeah. But as a, at your own sort of, you know, you instigate it, you generate that. It's a request to also let them know that, how am I doing? Am yeah. I progressing or am I still stuck? Yeah. Yeah. And we did, many of the leaders in this program did do one-on-one feed, -on -one feedback sessions where they went in with their direct reports and asked, asked for feedback. And, you know, that it's really hard, but when you ask for feedback, so if anyone out there is listening and you want to find out, you know, what you're doing well and what's challenging for people, your response is to say, thank you or to ask more questions. So is it when I'm, when I do this or when I do that, you can ask clarifying questions, but as soon as you start justifying behavior or defending behavior, now trust may be even worse than it was when you started. So while it's a great trust building opportunity, if it's not carried out right or carried out well, or with humility, it can actually have the opposite impact. And again, the energy that I hear being reported from these leaders that are out doing these exercises is that there's a new, it's like new energy gets released within those relationships and within the team. And everybody was energized by it. So it was really a beautiful thing to say. So see, so thank you. And all of those examples are examples of going public or nuances of going public, I think, Lori. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jerry, how about you? When you think about, you know, if you were, what do you think is a great way, one of your top ways to build trust? Well, I mean, it, Lori really has already said it because there's such a connection between what we talk about and, and what you're talking about, Lori. It's, <laughs> yeah, it is the willingness to go in and, and two things in my mind, two behaviors always in our back pocket. One is I'm sorry, I, I screwed up. And of course, that's the least used behavior, truly. <laughs> you take a look at that. It is the least used behavior, but is the one that restores trust the quickest. Uh, and then the second one is to listen. What did I not know about that? What assumptions did I make? And so to step back in with curiosity instead of judgment into the relationship. And my sense is that if we carry those two behaviors with the right intent, I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's the other thing is that we can get really almost manipulative with these behaviors 
trying to manage the relationship instead of really own our responsibility in it. So to me, it's, you know, what's the difference between manipulation and influence is that I'm influence has all the vulnerability baked into it because I'm doing what I need to do for the best outcome for all of us versus I want to get my way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's a, that's a reminder that when we're asking for feedback and we're having these conversations that we get really clear about what our intent is, you Mm -hmm. know, that we're not there. If we walk into a conversation Mm -hmm. like that with the intent to manipulate and we don't say, Oh, I'm going to manipulate this. But when we walk in with an agenda, yeah that is changing another person's behavior that ends up being manipulation. Absolutely. And if one of those fears is really active in us, that's what I think is so beautiful about what you said, Lori, that if I can bring consciousness to the fear that usually grabs me more often than not, then I can work on that before I step into the behavior. But if I'm stepping into the behavior with an unconscious experience of the fear, that's going to run what I'm up to in this and and so I can do the behavior, but it's going to come off as manipulation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I love the thread in there around authenticity. Authenticity is like, I am who I am, right? And rather than doing this behavior in order for me to get trust, it's really more, I trust first. And I trust that my vulnerability genuinely and authentically expressed will move mountains in terms of really building the the sinews and the strength of that relationship. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's uh, in the conversation that I had with Rick Vaughn and Raf Fatan earlier, we talked about, I was using the word, you know, the courage that it takes to do this work, to make change. And, and Raf very skillfully kind of reoriented it to like possibility, you know, so we have, to be able to see a greater possibility. And so I'm, I, that's really, he's, his, his reframing has challenged me to think not just about it's hard because it does feel hard, but, oh, there's so much, there's so much on the other side of this. Um, Lori, will you, we talked about trust and would you just name what's on top of trust? The other, the Lencioni's pyramid because what I think is important is that oftentimes we come into organizations and we want to solve something at a particular level that's like further up the pyramid, but where we have, where we need to start is trust. So, so the foundation is trust and then go yeah, from there. So from there, if we don't have trust, then we're not going to have be able to engage in productive conflict. And productive conflict is distinct from really sort of uh, calling out somebody like, you know, you're stupid, right? That's not conflict <laughs> around issues, right? And conflict is creates the, the environment where people then actually have clarity around what it is that they're committing to. So the third rung of the ladder is um, being able to engage and buy in to the commitment, because even though I may not agree with what the team is committed to, I've had my voice in the room in the, in, at the conflict level. Mm-hmm. And then once we make those commitments, we have to be able to hold ourselves and others accountable. And in Lencioni's world, he really emphasizes on the most uncomfortable way of expressing or of achieving 
ability and that's peer to peer mm. rather than always holding the senior leader as a, as accountable. And then finally, when all of that is humming and drumming, we finally get the results that we want. Yeah. It goes back to Jerry, when you were saying, you know, when we're not achieving results or it feels like there's a drag on results, oftentimes we want to start with the results. Let's, let's focus on results, but there's all this stuff that has to be taken care of before, before you can get the results. And the whole accountability piece is if there's a lack of trust, again, those, those accountability conversations or those breakdown conversations are not going to feel very safe and people aren't going to, you know, feel safe having them. And they're not going to feel safe being on the receiving end of, uh, of an accountability conversation. So it's just the more that I think about trust, the more it's, it is, it really is foundational. And if you don't have it, then you better, you, you better just really be focused on that element in your organization because nothing else is going to happen or it's going to take such monumental energy and effort to get stuff done, to get over all the, the obstacles that are caused by a lack of trust. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. What both of you said. Yeah. So I want to thank you both for being here. But before we wrap it up, is there anything that, you know, that we didn't talk about in terms of trust that you think we didn't talk about that? And I think it's really, really important that we cover it. There is, Lori. What is it? Yeah, And when Jerry was talking about being conscious, being aware, right? How do we become aware? And I really appreciated that you brought in the body and our awareness of our physiology as a way of us being able to see the patterns of when we tighten up, when we're in that fear mode. And for me, it's a huge lever that we can pull on when we're building our own self-awareness and take more responsibility for how we're showing up in the world and another way to go public. You know what? I'm noticing this not in my stomach right now, which tells me that I'm not feeling safe and I'm wondering why. Can you mm -hmm. help me? Like that. Wow. Yeah. So I was going to ask you for an example. So like, what would that look like? And so you just gave the example of noticing <laughs> that you have a knot in your stomach and calling that out. So something's not feeling right to me here. And when I get this feeling, I'm learning to ask a question about it because it's telling me something. Right. Rather than making you wrong because I have a knot in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> You're making me have a knot in my stomach. <laughs> right. But I mean, that's the, that's typically where our brains go is it's not about me. It's yeah. about what's happening to me rather than what's happening for me that I get to mm -hmm. own and uh, take responsibility for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So noticing, yeah, I think about like, if I'm, if I feel like I'm not clear with another person and I'm feeling like for some reason, I'm not trusting where this is going to have that conversation at the time, like something's not, something's not right. Doesn't feel right for me. Oftentimes this happens after the conversation though. Like I get this lingering feeling or like I've noticed, oh, my jaw's tight or my stomach's upset. What, why? And I will, if I can look back and say, oh, there was this conversation and then being willing to circle back 
to that conversation based on my physical response. Lloyd, does that, does that align with what you were saying as well? Very clearly. I couldn't yeah. have said it better. I think you yeah. said it better. <laughs> <laughs> But that's just a story in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I will have links to both of your your websites, your LinkedIn profiles, and all of that. Is there something that either of you have going on right now that you would like to call people's attention to? You want to make an invitation, tell people to watch out for something. Is there any is there anything like that that people can be watching from from for either of you? Jerry, you want to go first? I just continue to do the work with uh, <laughs> lots and lots of organizations. Yeah, so. yeah. Jerry's <laughs> dance ticket stays extremely full. Just as an aside, it was like, okay, we're doing this again, Jerry. Let's look at the next session. And he gave me one date in November. (laughs) (laughs) A busy guy. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. In demand, in demand. Lori, how about you? Yeah. I mentioned it earlier. I'm launching Conscious Leaders, Wisdom Circles, and Masterminds in September. And it's a year-long journey. And I'd love to talk to anybody who's interested in stepping on that journey. It'll be a a small group of eight to 15 people, somewhere in that range. And um, looking at creating a very diverse group of high-performing leaders. All right. We'll make sure that that link is in the show notes so that people can can look for you. Thank you. this has been so much fun. I, you are two people that I hold in such high regard and you are such beautiful partners in this program and bringing uh, this, all of this content to life at Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. And so thank you both uh, very much for being here today and can't wait to work with you again. And I hope Uh, Those of you who are out there listening, maybe you're on a treadmill or you're walking through your neighborhood. Uh, I hope that you're, you were getting lots of uh, firing on ideas to do in your organization or signs that trust may be missing or Mm -hmm. that it's there. So regardless, hope everyone has a fantastic day and thank you again for being here. Thank you so much, Leanne. It's just been a privilege to work with you. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed this episode. As a reminder, this is part of a Rise Leaders Radio limited series podcast called Reimagine Leadership. There are several additional episodes focused on various aspects of a seven-month practice and cohort-based program that I developed for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. I've included links to various topics that we've discussed, and you can find those in the show notes for this episode. Be sure to listen to the last episode in this series, where we'll be reviewing the results of the program, what we learned, and how we're thinking about our next steps. In addition to curating leadership programs like this, I also offer executive coaching and strategic approaches to leadership and team development please reach out to me via the contact information on my website at www.rise-leaders.com. And by the way, Rise Leaders Radio is on YouTube now, and this is probably the best way for you to leave comments or engage in a conversation with me regarding this or any of the episodes. 
And of course, finally, if you found this episode useful or interesting, please share it with others and leave me a nice review. Thank you so much. And remember that you have the power to elevate your part of the world.